Lined into left center, and what a play made by the rookie Brian O'Grady. Pitch. Oh, into right field. Brian O'Grady, first big league home run. Fly ball, center field struck well. Marisnik going back at the wall. Gone! Welcome back, Brian O'Grady. And welcome inside episode 95 of Breaking Bats, presented by Not For Long Media. My name is Justin Ayers, and I am joined by Ryan Ripken, back at it again. It's just the two of us this week, but there's a lot of off-season stuff to talk about. It's also the Thanksgiving episode, so first, happy Thanksgiving when you're listening to this. Yeah, happy Thanksgiving, and we're back. The boys are back, Justin, you and I. Um, it's always great, always have a great time, and I can't believe it's Thanksgiving. I, I really can't believe uh we're at this point of the year already i i really feel like i was just setting my new year's resolutions that i kind of followed through but now it's thanksgiving and now i gotta be thinking about the next ones in a month so but hey it, it's uh happy thanksgiving man i'm uh thankful i know you got something but i'm thankful to be back doing this with you appreciate that yeah it's a busy time I'm, it looks like if you're watching on YouTube, it looks like I'm podcasting from prison because there's just gunmetal gray walls behind me. So uh, I moved recently. All my sh- all my shit's still in boxes. Um, it's great. I you know I tried to make dinner the other night, couldn't find anything. So um, yeah, we're, we're having a great time. But it, hey, this is a time we're all supposed to be thankful and you know get together and, and celebrate with the, your loved ones. But uh, I will currently be doing it from cell block E tonight, apparently, because this is. I just realized I need to hang my stuff up. That's just, it looks bad. <laughs> well, hey, I mean, I, I got the virtual backdrop, even though and yeah, you got that a piano in the back. <laughs> or that piano. Not- you be the judge. You be the judge. If you got, if anyone's watching this, you be the judge of what's behind me right now. If that's a real piano or not. And can I play the piano? It's two questions. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, I, I don't envy your moving, man. I'm, it's, it's never fun. But eventually, eventually. You'll get moved in, you'll be relaxed, and it looks like you, you know, have a little bit of life behind you exactly. in that room. Uh, although that AI virtual background thing, it's pretty lifelike. It looks like the palatial estate of Ryan Ripkin, so you had me fooled. <laughs> yeah, I mean, this is, I, I wish, I, I hope that my living room space will look like this. <laughs> I, I do. to aspire to. That's why, hey, you know, you think it, you make it, why not have it? So, Huh, but hey, we got a lot to talk about, don't we? We got a lot. We got a lot of stuff to talk about. Before we get into what I'm thankful for in the baseball world, real quick, two shout outs, two apparel brands, both awesome. Zero negative, zero negative. It's a brand they out to inspire and empower individuals to find a positive message in everything they do. Positivity and mindfulness promoted in all of their products. Zeronegative.com. And finally, one of my favorite companies out there, Fuel Hunt, one of the finest makers of workout apparel. Uh, they are a great Philadelphia brand. They restore the value of hard work. Check them out fuelhunt.com. Okay. In the spirit of Thanksgiving, I did a quick brainstorm of all the things that I am thankful for specifically in the baseball world. And I wanted to do a quick rundown and get your thoughts. First of all, I am thankful for Mike Elias and his big brain. That guy rocks. Uh, I'm thankful to the nationals for the nationals for being fun, bad. They're bad, but they're fun, bad. And I'm also thankful that they have $9 ticket days because I went to 10 nationals games this year and it didn't cost me anything. Uh, I'm thankful for the Low Brothers, Brandon, and <laughs> damn it, I always get I always throw Brandon in there as a joke, and I think I just did it like it was a Freudian slip. Nathaniel and Josh, uh, I'm also thankful for Brandon Lau. That guy, he seems cool. 
Uh, they're the nicest trio in baseball, the Low Brothers. Uh, I'm thankful for the Pirates for bringing Andrew McCutcheon back and for not trading everybody. That was fun. That would have been hard. Um, I am thankful for the New York Yankees for so many reasons. I'm thankful for Brian Cashman for bragging about having the smallest analytics department in the AL East. Keep doing that, Brian. And I'm also thankful for the Yankees for having the same roster construction every single year and then wondering why it goes wrong at the end of every year. Love that. Uh, Pete Fairbanks throws the best changeup out there. Thankful for him. Greatest dude out there. I'm also thankful for all of our guests and recurring guests. We have the best guests and recurring guests on all of baseball podcasting. And finally, I am thankful for Ryan, Brian, Kate, Colin, Jack, the whole Not For Long Media Breaking Bass team. Couldn't do it without you guys. Um, it's a lot to be thankful for this year, man. I don't know. I'm getting all sentimental. I'm getting choked up. Yeah, how about that? How about that? Yes, you are. But, I mean, hey, like, it, this is a time where you get to reflect and think about so many different, you know, variations of why you're thankful for here. I love the fact that baseball season, I'll start, I'll start first off with you want to appreciate the people around you. I think that's awesome. I, I'm thankful for the relationships I've, I've uh, personally gotten to have with you and the rest of the, the crew at Not For Long Media. It's been fun, right? Like this is how life works. You build relationships and you don't know what that journey is going to look like, but you get to meet some great people along the road. And that, that's something that I, I feel the exact same way. In the baseball season, man, there was so much to be thankful for. I mean, you mentioned Mike Elias. I mean, for me, I'm just thankful for the the Baltimore Orioles. You know, those are my former teammates, a lot of those guys. And what I'm really thankful is them bringing fun back to Baltimore and bringing hope and uh, just excitement to a fan base that that has been desperately waiting for this return. And hopefully this is something that happens for a long time. I'm also thankful that especially the championship series and the postseason, the postseason was electric. The atmospheres are unmatched. Two game sevens and the road team just going out there and pulling it off in both games. I just thought it was tremendous. It was fun. Um, you know, I'm just thankful uh, for, even though this might sound weird, I'm thankful that MLB, even though it's been up and down, they are trying to make the game more interesting for people. I know that there's people that go back and forth. Well, I don't want the game to change. Well, the reality is there are certain things that need to change. I'm thankful I get to see teams face each other that might never do that. The scheduling actually was a success. Some of the rule changes were too. Uh, and uh, the atmosphere and the fans coming out was amazing. So I'm thankful for that. It's a great year of baseball. And uh, I'm pretty thankful that the hot stove, Justin, is only, only going to heat up as the weather gets colder and colder here and the year 2023. Couldn't have said it better myself. Big hot stove fan. I like that, like, baseball fans have this, like, lingo, this verbiage, like, oh, my gosh, the hot stove is buzzing. And non-baseball fans like, what does that mean? Like, if you're a baseball fan right now, you are locked in to the stove. It is fully on. Uh yeah, that's there's just so much to be thankful for. I also like real quick because we were talking about the Orioles. I saw our guy Kyle Gibson left, and like I know they weren't going to bring him back, but you know, veteran veteran leadership is something you can't put a price tag on, Ryan. No, no, you can't. I, I think I, I ask every one of my former teammates that have been on the uh, shows with me. So it's Kyle Bradish, Dean Kramer, Tyler Wells, and every single time. They talked about what the veterans meant to them, but also they talked about how important Kyle Gibson was, the, the, his friendship, his leadership, his ability 
um, showing how to just continue to be a pro and why he's been around the league for so long. You know, I mean, that's you really can't quantify. You can go and look at your stats all you want. The fact that the Orioles, the best team in the American League, are sitting there singing the praises of somebody that goes big beyond the game. I mean, they'll say they'll continue to say it and I'll say it, too. Those guys, you really can't fully appreciate what they do and hate to see Gibby leaving Baltimore. But that is a part of the business. But he his impact was no doubt felt on the 2023 team. Exactly. Yeah, it, they he filled that. Uh, who was it? Jordan Lyles was that role two years ago. And it's Kyle Gibson. Yep. I like that they bring in like like these older established veteran guys because their staff outside of those people are all like super young, like Grayson and all these guys are in their mid to late early mid twenties. It's like, yeah, give me, give me the 36 year old guy that doesn't understand TikTok, probably full of sage words of wisdom. Like that's, that's what every great rotation is made of. My question to you is who will fill the Kyle Gibson role now? It's really interesting, right? Cause the Orioles are figuring out the figuring out the rest of their roster, you know? And so, Gibson, a free agent, Adam Frazier, you know, Aaron Hicks, what do you do? And, and the thing that I loved is those are three guys that, that that just fit right in. James McCann has been tremendous. You know, I, I think that that's another guy you can never think most unsung important position is having a backup catcher that you can rely on and depend on no matter what. And you look at a lot of great teams, it, it really alleviates so I don't know exactly. I mean, the fact that we've seen other guys like Lance Lynn go somewhere else who has a lot of experience. So the Orioles are going to be very diligent. But, Justin, it's a little bit different now than it was last year or the year before because now the Orioles understand how to win. Now it's, you know, how all in do you want to be? And they're always about value. What does the value going to look like? I like that. Okay, so maybe we don't need just like the number four or five guy just because he's old i have an idea and like this is a guy that i've always wanted on the orioles because i think he's an absolute dog sunny gray oh. i want sunny gray he's older he's not going to take a seven-year contract to get him here give him four years at 20 something per sunny gray that would be an interesting one no doubt it's just going to be what is that cost going to be you know, and that's something for the Orioles. I mean, you know, we're going to dive in about, you know, there is a pitcher that going back to Philly and Aaron Nola yeah. that signed a big deal, you know, and that's something we're looking at the Orioles. No, no, no. Uh, when I saw people uh, linking Nola to Baltimore, like there's no shot, zero chance he's going to come to Baltimore just because of the amount of money. Now, if the deal is right and the value for the Orioles is saying, yep, it fits. It makes sense. Um, you know, I'm curious, though, Justin. I'm going to go this way. I think they're going to go get a high-leverage veteran reliever slash closer role. I think that is for real. And if I was going to say the two, that is where I think their priority is going is to go. So if it's not Sonny Gray, which would be electric, I think, I think Baltimore is going to find some veteran at the back end of the bullpen that's really going to help the birds in 2024. What did we say a few weeks ago? Make middle relievers great again. And I think that might be the first step is to go out and sign one for $10 million a year, which they probably have never done before. Yeah, $10 million might be a stretch, but <laughs> they are they are in 
the hunt for one. There's no doubt about that they are going to look to evaluate that pitching staff. I like that you brought up Aaron Nola because that's where I wanted to go next. The largest free agent contract for a Phillies pitcher ever. Uh, seven years, $172 million to go back to the Fightins. No opt-outs, no team options, straight up. I love those kind of deals. Um, this is a guy that is probably one of the most durable pitchers out there. He's all. It feels like every year he's, he's giving you 30-plus starts, 200 innings. Kind of struggled down the stretch in 2023, but you know the postseason play from Aaron Nola is just like, that, that guy, you talk about dogs and bulldogs, like that's that's a workhorse if I've ever seen one. Yeah, I mean, you said it right now. If we're going through his career, uh, since he since 2016, he has hasn't had less than 20 starts. 2017 and on, take out the COVID year, 27 and above in four of those five seasons, and four of those seasons, 32. So what that's saying is to your point guys out there, what do you want if you're going to give a contract like that? And again, injuries, you can't control them, but dependable, not only dependable, consistent. That means he's going out there, giving your team a chance more times than not. And you're right. It wasn't his best year by any means in 2023, but I'll tell you what, overall, Aaron Nolan, the postseason, that's a guy you want on the mound. That is a guy that knows how to handle big moments. Philly's trying to win right now. He loves Philly, and if I'm not mistaken, Justin, he took less to stay to stay in Philly, or that was a rumor, right? So, just saying. I mean, he yeah. he loves it. He deserves it, and uh, good starting pitching. And good starting pitching doesn't grow on trees. Philly Phillies knew that, and Aaron Noel fits right back in, and they're going to try to run it back and, and get to the World Series this time. They uh they did what the Phillies have always done with these large contracts, which is like they'll give you less and average annual value, but they'll spread that thing out. So you'll look at it and you're right. like, yeah, seven years for Aaron Nola. I don't know what the end of that's going to look like, but that's that's future Phillies problem because this is going to help them stay under the luxury tax. It's a win win. He he had a quote Aaron Nola did that I thought was super interesting. He said, "quote I've always been a Philly. It's the only place we kind of had our eyes set on. It's the most comfortable place for me." And it got me thinking, like, you know, drafted a Philly, came up, been there his entire career. Like, as a player, like, how like how important is it to be somewhere where you can feel comfortable? I feel like that probably has to be number one priority. I, I think, honestly, it, it's a pride thing. It means the team that drafted you believed in you, you know, and they believe in you, and then they also want to reward you with that contract. So that's why it's, it's such a great feeling, and it helps. If a lot of those guys on the team you've spent time with over the years and you build up, you got to love being where you are. And for Philly, why wouldn't you want to be there right now? They're, they're, they're in a position again to compete for a World Series. So that's exciting. But the, the part of it too nowadays, Justin, I think, just face it, baseball contracts are the weirdest, strangest arbitration, tender, non-tender. Everything is so strange. That when you have a, the team that drafted you want to, wants to keep you long term, it just makes you feel great. It makes you feel good. And, and quite frankly, we just don't see that as much anymore. You know, people forget. I mean, Bryce Harper's fit right in with Philly, but it's crazy to think you never would have thought that he would have left Washington at, at some point. Like, there's no way that Bryce Harper leaves the Nationals. And then he does. And even though Bryce loves Philly, I, I bet you 
it probably still stung that, you know, things didn't work out the way that he wanted there. Of course, he had different aspirations, but it does matter to players. It's a pride. You took it. You took a chance on me when things were tough. You took a chance on me that no other team wanted to. Um, I'd feel the same way. I love. I love one team guys. There's just something about it. Like, you know what? Uh, the ups, the downs. Like, I'm gonna ride with you guys through thick and thin. Like, I just think that you don't see enough of that in sports. And I saw that if he spends the duration of his contract in Philly, he'll break Steve Carlson's record of 15 years with with the organization. Like, that's cool to me. Like. We're going to see Joey Votto probably leave Cincinnati and that'll break my heart. So there's just something, I don't know. Obviously. Yeah. There's just, there's just something about one uniform, 20 plus years, whatever. Like that's just awesome. I'm with you. Like it's, it's so rare. And maybe I grew up where, you know, my dad just painted a terrible picture of being, well, you know, it's your, everyone plays baseball. That's what I thought. Everyone's dad. Oh, everyone's dad plays baseball. I'm going to play baseball. And you realize not everyone's dad plays baseball. And then I'm going to play 20 years. Oh, okay, well, great. Yeah, I can do 20 years. Well, wait a minute. Most people don't play 20 years. And then on top of it, I want to be with the team that I was with my entire career. And so that is also very unrealistic. So when you're looking at this and going, man, dad, you're setting me up for this unrealistic expectation of what Major League Professional Baseball is going to be. Um and I'm with you, Aaron Nola. That is something for him and Philly fans. They will cherish that, and he will be beloved in that city. Um, especially get a chance to win a World Series, but they are going to love him. And it just means more when you know that that's your guy for the duration of his career. I like that. So they're they're top three of the rotation: Wheeler, Nola, Ranger, all coming cool. back. Do we feel good? Like, do we feel good about the Phillies? You said they're World Series contenders again for next year. Absolutely. They have, I mean, yeah. If you're Philly, run it back again. You were one game away. Uh, still shocked that they, you know, it's baseball though, but there's no reason why Philly can't win a World Series in 2024. It's a fun team. The bank will be rocking once again come next fall. I guarantee it. It'll be Rock so much it. fun. Um. I wanted to talk about another pitcher because Max Scherzer, he went on foul territory this week and he raised an interesting point about the pitch clock and the effect it has on pitchers health. Um, He has a quote. It's a little long, but he said that Dr. Meister saw that the elbow injuries this year were just way more severe. If you look at all the data that came across the game, that the pitcher pitcher injuries, arm injuries, they're on the high end, but the severity of the injuries are much more problematic. Both of them talking about his other doctor too, are seeing the same thing. There's an uptick in severity. So Scherzer is trying to link arm injuries being more severe to the pitch clock. And he's saying that like, because pitchers are rapid firing these things in there, your arm gets tired and there's going to be some long-term health effects because of that. Granted, there's only one year of this in the big leagues. Like I didn't know this was a thing. I tried to do my research on this. I didn't like, I just, I never heard anybody speak out about this. Had, had you thought about this? Was this even something that like you're, you got pitcher friends. Like, have you heard this before? Not as much. I was just more worried, or I think for some pitchers, if they were used to having a slower tempo, would they be used to it? And honestly, quite frankly, I thought it would be these veteran pitchers that have been around forever that have not had any, um, you know, really time around these new rules. Like a lot of the guys that are coming up, like these rules were tested in the minor leagues. So a lot of these guys were at least acquainted with the idea. 
and understood what that was. Some of them pitched with it. Some others at least understood it, and they and they adapted with that. But like Scherzer's been around for he's one of the longest tenured players in Major League Baseball. So of course, all of a sudden they make a new rule. Yeah, he, I, I'm not surprised. I don't blame him for not being happy about it either. You've been doing the one thing really damn well, by the way, for your entire career. And now all of a sudden you have to change something up. That was going to be the hardest thing with these older pitchers trying to get accustomed to something else. And especially for him, he's coming off a year where, damn, yeah, he's frustrated. You're with the Mets, and that's just an absolute dumpster fire of everything that happened. Plus, then you're dealing with injuries. So the combination of it, yeah, it's going to leave a sour taste in his in, in his uh, in his mouth with what happened. So it's definitely the older pitchers, though, because the newer ones, you know, moving forward, Justin, we'll have to see for data to come out, if anything were to be. But a lot of these guys are being trained to pitch in uh, these circumstances. We interrupt this episode to bring you a word from the official sponsor of Not For Long Media and the Breaking Bats podcast, the original Fudge Kitchen. It is a staple of the Jersey Shore with six locations in Cape May, Wildwood, North Wildwood, Stone Harbor, and Ocean City. The original Fudge Kitchen makes all of their fudge in-store guaranteeing a delicious product, so stop by and let them know that Not For Long Media and Breaking Bats sent you. Check them out online at fudgekitchenswithans.com as they are shipping fudge and sweet treats all across the country. Now back to the episode. That's such a great point. And that's honestly where my mind went the first time I heard the story. I'm like, yeah, Max has just been doing it for 20 years one way. And like, he's been on the record before this, just like he's never been in favor of the pitch clock. Like he think it, he thinks it like it messes up the flow of the game. And it's just like, he's a big old school guy, I think in that, in that regard. But yeah, I just, I, I mean, look, it's, we've had one year of data on this about people like pitchers arm injuries. I'll, I'll give it a shot. I'll give it a couple years and see if like, there's some more statistical stuff to back up his claims. But um, I did think it was weird. He spent an entire foul territory segment on just railing against the pitch clock. I mean, that's, I like the pitch clock. I didn't used to, and I hate change as a general rule. I love it. Yeah. I mean, Hey, I think that that was one of those situations where people really were polarized by it. And then after the fact, fans are like, Oh wow. Okay. That's nice. And as a player, Keeps you more in routine. I'll tell you, it really didn't matter with the pitchers that like to work fast. And as a hitter, and I'll say I hated working, having pitchers work fast. It would speed me up. That, to me, was going to be the hardest situation. But, hey, you know, it is what it is. Whether you like it or not, it's here to stay. Um, And, uh, yeah, clearly, Max is not a fan. And that probably will not change next year. But I'll tell you what, Justin, even though we went on that rant, I don't think he's carrying too, too, too much deep down the fact that, that the Rangers walked out as champs. I think I think he'll be okay as long as they win. <laughs> I think you're right. Um, I there's so many positive, like there's not there's not that many people taking the his side on this. Cause like I went, I was I found some awesome pitch clock stats because the average game time was too well, I take that back. There was apparently they're trying to make 18 seconds with runners on base as opposed to 20. I don't know what those two seconds are really going to do for the whole grand scheme of things, but they said that the average game time went up from 2.36 in April to 2.44 in September. Um, Apparently that small difference is big enough for them to make it go even shorter. So uh, look out for Max with runners on base next year. He will will not be happy. Oh, no doubt. I mean, that's – we can do a whole segment on the base runner side of it. That is – now that one is fascinating. 
just like the impact it'll have on the, the running game. Just like I, I just I just think in general of the rule changes, you know, when you're having the amount of pickoffs and the amount of time on base, because there was an art to being a great base stealer and there was an art to be able to hold runners on and keep the running game, you know, at bay, so to speak. You know, that that's where I'm looking at it, where nowadays you pick off enough times, it's a free opportunity for the base runner. And then also pitchers that were able to hold longer and be able to change up, really it impacted and messed up, you know, the even the, the hitter's maybe rhythm. It also then is throwing off the base runner, getting a good jump, uh, getting a good, whatever, good lead or secondary lead, whatever it may be. So the cat and mouse game of that is changing. And I get it. Like it's, it's fun seeing more stolen bases. Tell you who doesn't like it. Catchers, catchers certainly don't like it. And also guys that are extremely good at controlling the run game. And that, and that's one of those, when I look at it, that's like the, again, I'm all for change, but I do love the little, the appreciation of being able to uh, control because that, that was an art controlling the run game was no doubt or is no doubt in art in baseball. When you played, who was the pitcher that did the best at controlling the running game? Man, it, it varies. It's hard for me to exactly say who I've played against. I will say I loved, um, well, actually, let me backtrack this here. Now, now I'm getting stumped and I'm getting a brain fart on this, Justin. But I love this came about organically because I love to give you one and go, bam, this dude was incredible. Because first um, base, you have a, you have a unique you have a unique perspective over there. Just like the pitchers are picking them off. You probably had a sweet slap tag down. Like, well, well also, I'll, t- I'll, I'll tell you what, guys that could, there was guys that had quick, I'll tell you about pickoff moves. There's guys that have quick pickoff moves where I knew their, their tendency. So I was able to watch it and that would make it even better to be able to make one. The ones that scared the absolute shit out of me were the ones where I know that they throw gas, but they don't know where it's going over there. And that one <laughs> terrifies me. You know what? You can keep the rules for baseball in that case because nothing was worse than a pitcher that didn't like throwing the ball over to first and didn't want to lob it and then just hummed 98. And you're going, please, please don't, please don't cuff, cuff my, my hand and mess up uh, my palm. And also, please don't get caught in the light. Nothing crazy where I don't see because you know what? If I'm not seeing it, I am ducking or I'm getting the hell out of the way. And that's only happened, I think, once in my career where I almost felt like I was going to get – where I got a ball lost in the uh, the light. Uh, but I've had other times where, depending on the pitcher, you go, you say a prayer and just pray he doesn't pick off. I will say that. That, that, that to me. But I had guys that just knew uh, – that just had unbelievable pickoff moves. Uh, and it just was fun. It was just fun to see, like, hey, we got a real shot here. That's the best. Yeah. Then you're just a goalie in hockey at that point. You're just like using the body to like try to block it or something. That's. And you're, no, you're, I mean, you're just getting that position and you're getting the quick, you can sell and you're like, Oh, come on, let's go. Well, now it's every, you know, challenge in the big league. So you can, you know, do that. But uh, it's just the art of it. The art of trying to make it all come together. It is what it is though. I like that first base. Yeah, that's a, that's a hard position to play. People think you just throw anybody, any any average Joe over there at first base, and they you know, they can do it. 
But uh, yeah, as we've seen, you have it, it's a, it's a very hard position to play defensively. Oh, you know, hey, some cases it's you just got to catch it. But I will say, you want to talk about great fielders out there, great shortstops, great third baseman, great second baseman. And I'm not trying to be biased for being a good like of a, a first baseman being good. But if you think there's a great middle infielder or hot guy in the hot corner, uh, tell me which player. And then let's see who their first baseman is. And I guarantee you they usually have a good first baseman. Like Adrian Gonzalez is one of those guys I remember watching. That was great. Just phenomenal um, around the bag. Like those guys, Freddie Freeman, Matt Olson, you kidding me? They got some great players on those on those teams with the Dodgers and the, uh, and the Braves. But, man, those dudes, when you, get, when you know you got guys like that over there that can make any damn play, you know, makes you feel a lot better about throwing over there, knowing those guys got your back. I like that. Behind every great middle infielder is an even better first baseman. <laughs> yeah, make make playing defense at first base great again. How about that? Put print the shirts. Print, print the shirts. it now. <laughs> Thankful um, for first base first base play. I love it. Uh, let's let's just stick with the pitching theme though, uh, because we the baseball community had a retirement that oh, we think we all probably saw it coming, but it's still kind of sad. Is Zach Britton, former mm. Orioles legend, played with the Yankees at the end there. Uh, 12 seasons, seven and a half Baltimore, four and a half in New York. That run, though, 2014 to 2016, go, look it up if, you have, if you're not familiar with it. Just check out the baseball reference, and you'll be like, wait a minute, there's a zero in front of his ERA? Like, that's not possible. Um, it was the best. It was the best time to be an Orioles fan then. I wanted to, cause like you get, you did a little of this on your show this week, but um, memories from Zach Britton's time in Baltimore. Like what, when you think what's the quintessential Zach Britton standout thing for you? Well, I think I love the fact that he wasn't supposed to be this unbelievable closer or bullpen guy. He was a starter, you know? And then it was, Oh, you're up and down trying to find your role. And then all of a sudden something clicks. Steve Johnson talked about that of saying, you know, because they were in the same boat as being stars and trying to do it. And uh, I joked with Steve then because I go, Steve, well, you guys threw you guys threw the same when you came out of the pen. You know, just a 10-mile-an-hour difference. But, you know, Zach then was throwing 97, 99. And I think the, the, what I loved with Zach was we talk about, like, taking a hitter's soul away. And in 16, that's just what he did, you know, was you knew what was coming. You knew exactly it was really his one pitch, but that one pitch was so damn good that you didn't have a chance. And that's the crazy thing. 2-0, you know what's coming. You might have a swing that makes it seem like it's 0-2 and uh, your confidence is shattered, or he just makes pitches. It was just that 2016 year really could have been that Cy Young. Like that, that's what I look back to. And I think that. He should be remembered as a guy that that really was fun to watch for the Orioles, and really for the for that time was one of the best closers in the business in a way that maybe is not as conventional as it is nowadays. Yeah, that's such a great point. Yeah, I was as somebody who went to a lot of games from you know the mid 2010s. There, it was just I will always love. Just seeing the school of rock flash on the video board, you know, the ACDC blaring for those about to rock. It was just like that. I I saw that a thousand times and never got old. The lights are flashing. 
Um, yeah, I mean, that's, you're right though, failed starter. And he was at like the weighted ball program or something. He came back and it was just like, oh, he, he throws a hundred now. <laughs> he throws a hundred and then the ball goes like this as a sinker, just like straight down. I realized the visual didn't show it there, but the ball just, the ball goes straight down. It's like a, I don't even know what the hell to consider it. Sink, split or whatever it is. You're not hitting. Yeah. That's really what was happening. So um, awesome for him. I know it's hard. And we talked about this too, Justin, like, it's hard on the families, and it was cool. Didn't he have a uh, he had a nice note uh, talking about his family? He did. Yeah, it was from Bricciaroli and the Athletic wrote a whole thing about just like his retirement and talk about his wife, who's just like been the rock for his his whole family. She's she was a lawyer. She like helped support Zach when Zach was in the minors, and then like when they had kids and Zach was in the big league, she like put her career on pause. You know, let Zach do his thing, let him chase his dream. And, and Zach had a really cool quote that I wanted to get your take on. He said, quote, she doesn't get the accolades. There's no one writing about her. I thought at times I was sacrificing a lot, but having the perspective of what she's done for me, I couldn't repay her if I had five lifetimes. We don't, we don't talk a lot about baseball spouses, but uh, the impact that they have on, you know, they're, they're your therapists when you're high, when you're low, like they, they just are like the ultimate, like, you know, probably steadying force for every, every player out there. Yeah, I think that people realize that this is a baseball is a game, but it's a job and it's a huge sacrifice. You have to be this good to last as long. So Zach Redden playing 12 years. Is that right, Justin? 12 seasons, right? And that's not counting chasing to get to the big leagues. That's not counting this journey of trying to go out there and make it. Because as we know in the minors, a lot of guys had second jobs in the offseason, maybe even three jobs. And now it's changed a little bit to make make it a little bit better for players. But your significant others, your family, the ones that you care about, they have to be okay knowing that that you're going to be off, you know, trying to obviously make make your dream a reality. And hopefully then that can help pay it and, and make things better financially. But that's hard. That takes a toll on a family that not everyone will comprehend. Imagine a baseball season goes. You know, you leave in February and you're lucky enough to get into the World Series. You're February to end of October. And then you try to decompress, but then you're back playing. And during those eight months, you're away for half of those on the road and you're at the field for seven to 10 hours a day. So you're really not getting a lot of time, quality time. And uh, for Zach, I think it's just really cool because um, the spouses deserve so much credit. Families deserve so much credit, and, and I don't say this lightly, you know, because I, I mean this wholeheartedly. Uh, it takes a huge support system, and uh, without that support, a lot of these athletes um, can't can't go out there and accomplish. So it's just tremendous. I, I love the fact that he did that, um, and now he gets to now he gets to be around and and uh, gets to enjoy. Uh, spending his time with his family. Uh, he would never have that opportunity had his, had his wife and family been so supportive of him. It's the best. Yeah. I loved, I loved reading that. Check it out in the athletic. It was such a great article. Um, yeah, I'll miss him, but you know, he's going to shift into to dad mode there. It's going to be so sick. Um, I wanted to shift gears a little bit because this is something I have no statistical evidence to back up. This is all just kind of gut feeling. But I was checking out, you mentioned this earlier, like the non-tender guys. So it's a weird part of baseball. Like 
you could be making it, you could be killing it. And then the team will just release you for a variety of reasons. And I was reading like the list of like the guys that were getting cut. And it was like, I was noticing a trend of a lot of like platoon hitters. And by that, I mean, a lot of guys that are like Rowdy Telez and, and Vogelbach. And like, these guys are like, they mash the ball, but only in very specific situations, no left on left. Can't do it. You hit a hundred off them. I just like, for one, I feel like those guys aren't valued anymore. And also like, is it just impossible to hit like the same side pitching? I just feel like that's been a thing for a while. Well, some guys can can do it obviously better than others, but it's definitely different now. You know, people want first start off if you a being a DH. It's only a, a couple of those that are just DHs now. First and foremost, like just you you smack the shit out of the ball so much that we want you to be in the lineup every single day. That's hard to do. And we've seen that. If you're on out with the Baltimore Orioles, just using them as an example, the Orioles valued versatility. Yes, they did have – they play the matchup game with guys like Ryan O'Hearn and Ryan Mountcastle, even though Mountie can – Mountie, that second half was unconscious, especially versus lefties, though. He was. Um, but that hurts guys that you just mentioned, um, like Vogelbach or Tellez, because – that they maybe they don't have the full position. And the second part is, yeah, they, they look at it going, if if there is a competitive advantage, that's a lot of analytics now, Justin, where the position definitely is devalued. Uh, it's no longer that we're just going to have one guy go out there and do it. It's we're going to design our, our lineups around where we can dance around to put out the best lineup as much as possible. And yeah, I will say some guys do do hate the same the the same uh, righty on right or lefty on left, but I'll tell you what, most players they'll they'll want to accept the challenge, but they're not getting the challenge as much. That's a great point. Yeah, I was just thinking too, like in the National League when they had the pitchers hit, like there was a guy on the bench whose job it was to come in and pinch hit, and like there was so many bench bats that you could easily get away with being a Rowdy Telez or a Vogelbach, where you could you just have one job, and that's like, hey, I crush righties, and then that's it. And now, like you said, like they want versatility. They want to have a rotating DH, a lot of these teams. And it's like, yeah, it's it's like a job in baseball that 20 years ago, you probably have like a Matt Stairs sitting on the bench all day. But like that's dead now. It's different. It's just a different day and age. I mean, that's why I said, you know, when, when people have even asked about off seasons, like with Baltimore, oh, we'd love to see them go get a DH. I'm like, well, that doesn't fit what the team does. And for a lot of teams, they got to be comfortable with that. Like J.D. Martinez, they were saying, you know, J.D., for the Dodgers, hey, we want you to hit. Just hit. That's your job. You're going to hit. Every other team's going, that spot's valuable to us where we want to keep the flexibility. And that's what you're seeing. So, but hey, but but credit to the guys that keep grinding because some people are going to want them, but they might not necessarily get the value money-wise, that, that they would hope for. Justice for Dan Vogelbach, a guy. Big, Dan, big, big Danny Burgers fan. The Pirates had him lead off for a little bit, which I thought was hilarious. Electric. Yeah, just Electric. <laughs> just starting the game with Dan up there. Um, okay, a couple more things. Uh, the Toronto Blue Jays. We talk about teams that just like – we talk about things that don't get a lot of like love and appreciation. I just feel like in the AL East – we talk so much about obviously the Orioles now that they're a 101 win team, like the Rays, the Yankees, the Red Sox, whatever. It's like, I feel like the Blue Jays don't get enough shine attention, maybe. I mean, this is a, this is a wild card team last year. They had 89 wins, but 
This offseason, it's a big one for them. A lot of free agents, Chapman, Kiermaier, Belt, Merrifield. I And obviously they're having to deal with Vladdy Jr. not hitting as well. Like, Do you see them opening the checkbook, maybe trying to convince a certain two-way star to come their way? Or, uh, or is, this, is this a Blue Jays offseason for you, you think? Well, if if the if the reports are true, then don't leak that you want to bring Otani to Toronto, <laughs> you know. Um, but hey, you know, to be honest, Toronto's a very good team, very talented team, or has been. But it was a disappointing season for them. They were supposed to be the team that was gonna, was going to win the American League East on paper. For me, even to start the year, I thought that they were going to. They had the best team going into the American League uh, in the American League East going into the season. And yes, they made the playoffs, but then you're bounced. So you're not getting to where you want to go. So now you're at a crossroads, right? And they got a lot of big names that they got to make decisions on for their team. But Toronto is still in that win now situation. And so I don't know if if a certain two-way player that you're referring to with Otani wants to do that, wants to go up north to to Toronto, but but man, I I bet that the Toronto Blue Jays are going to be very aggressive in trying to really bolster their team because they feel like they just can't get over the hump. Their their pitching is excellent. Like they have like the guys established. Like you know, Bo Bichette has like a 200 hit season every year, and you know, Vladdy obviously had a down year this year for his standards, but he still hit 26 and 90 something. It's like, yeah, this is a very very good team. I just I think it's funny because I was reading like the the Blue Jays like blogs and like they're talking about Otani rumors and it's like the the level that people will try to go to to try to convince themselves that Otani will come to their city is, is hilarious they were talking about how many Japanese restaurants were in Toronto um apparently there's some good ones so if you need any recs check those out um but yeah this is and that's why I didn't want to do 20 minutes on Otani because I feel like everybody's doing it but it is hilarious to see the lengths that people will go to to try to lure you know the half a billion dollar man to their city yeah, it's it's fascinating. And you know what? There's another pitcher over in Japan that, that's now available um, for 45 days in Yamamoto, you know, and that's going to be a highly coveted player that people are going to go and go after. Be interesting to see. But hey, as we know, Justin, the AL East ain't getting any easier. The yeah. Yankees will be back. The, the, the Red Sox having the type of years that both those teams had is not um, is, is uh, inexcusable to their, their teams, their fan bases. So I believe that they're going to bounce back. And then you got the Baltimore Orioles and Tampa Bay Rays that aren't looking to go anywhere. So yep. Toronto's definitely going to have to be aggressive. It'll be fun. This is why the stove is fun. We get to be hypothetical and think about who the hell yes. is going where. I tell people all the time the offseason is probably equally, if not as interesting as this regular season, just for all of what we're doing right now. It's the speculations, the rumors, the – would it work if they go here? What are they really trying to do? Like, yeah, I'm all in. It's the best time of year. Hell yeah. And just imagine when everything is really with all the, the winter meetings and you know, going into spring meetings. training. You kidding me? Just chaos. We me, want the chaos. Give me John Heyman posted up in like the Holiday Inn conference room or whatever they have these winter meetings at. Like, I want all the reports. I want to see Ken Rosenthal talking about this team is like, I just give me all of it. I want the winter meetings injected into my veins. <laughs> we need it, you know, and Hey, yeah. we'll let people overreact all the time. Yes. It's going to be the best uh, to wrap up this week. 
I, I wanted to start the Hall of Fame conversation now. Just get just get out ahead of it because it's going to be going on from now until I think it's like January whenever you know they finally elect people. Um, I wanted to talk specifically about first timers. There's not that many guys that are first timers that really scream Hall of Famers, but I just want gut reaction. Any of these guys, obviously the first one will be a Hall of Famer, but any of these other ones scream Hall of Famer. And obviously the the, the slam dunk is Adrian Beltre. There's no denying. I mean, that's just that's he's a first ballot Hall of Famer. So correct me if I'm wrong here. We got um, David Wright, Adrian Beltre, Adrian Beltre, Joe Maurer, Matt Holiday are like the big names a part of that group. Utley, yeah, Utley, Bartolo. I don't really. I mean, that's that's a fun one. Your guy, Adrian Gonzalez. There's some guys that are just like thankful to be on the ballot. It's just like mm-hmm. they'll get like no votes, but it just it's a nice accomplishment. Like James Shields, not a Hall of Famer, yeah. he's on there for some reason. Well, that's um, why I read those those names initially of Maurer and Holiday, and because those were big time players when they were. Not that all these guys weren't, but you know, Joe Maurer was at one point, you know, the best catcher you know and unfortunately his career was cut a little bit short and we're saying get cut short he played 15 years and uh still had over 2,000 hits great player but might not get in right because of everything he was great for the time that he played um you know and he was an all-star what six six time all-star won an mvp uh he's got three gold gloves three four silver sluggers like that's impressive you know matt holiday fantastic player it's just going to go down to is what does the hall consider? Um, it's exciting, but Beltre, yeah, he's got to be in. If he's not in, I don't know. I don't know what to say. There'll be no comment. Some, some of these guys need to get like the analytics people to just like all rally behind them. Cause that's what happened with Scott Rowland. They're like, hey, is Scott really, really a hall of famer? And then the analytics people were like, look at his career war. And they're like, put him in. So if you have those, if that caucus backs your, you know, your cause, you're in. Yeah, I mean, and for every different reason, we're going to start seeing more and more, though, is it's a conversation of how how great were you and for how long. But I do think it's a skill to play a long time because we talked about that's hard to do. And people shouldn't be knocked for maybe not having the ridiculous numbers for, you know, a 10 year period but they were able to play for 20 years. And so say there's similar numbers for a 20 year career compared to a 10. I think that both could get in. Like people bring up, you know, Mike, Mike Trout had an unbelievable 10 game window for, or sorry, 10, you know, his first 10 years in the league, whatever it is, has been unbelievable. Like Trout will be in the hall of fame if he never plays again, but should someone then be um, not looked at differently because he was able to play. Carol Baines was the guy that got elected later. People saying he didn't do anything great. I said, well, he was consistent for years, and he stayed around. It's hard. I think I think that the that the Hall of Fame needs to consider all of those elements. But hey, who am I to judge? I don't have a I don't have a vote. My opinion doesn't matter. Well, hey, we'll still fill out the ballots. Like we do have a vote, though. That'll still be a thing. Ooh, so yeah, I'm putting ten in that. every year. Putting ten in. <laughs> Boom, baby! I love it. I love it. I think. I all, all fame is gonna be a cool moment. A uh, lot, a lot of players. Uh, hopefully, will will get their uh, their call that they've been looking for. If some, it just takes a little bit longer. And that's there's nothing wrong with that. That's why you're. That's why you have ten year, ten years or fifteen. I think it's ten uh, on the ballot. So, um, and then you have the committee that like to put Harold Baines in. So there's always a shot. 
No offense, James Shields. You, James Shields could have a shot. I don't know. Maybe there's a committee that'll be formed. You're telling me there's James a chance. You're on the ballot. You're telling me there's a chance. I love it. Uh, okay, this has been great. Ryan, thank you so much as always. Uh, appreciate your time. And like we said, let's just let's just get get through Thanksgiving and then it's winter meetings, hot stove. Hot stove season. Damn right. It's hot stove, Steve. Hot stove season. Hey, uh, enjoy Thanksgiving. Everyone out there, enjoy Thanksgiving. And uh, we'll have a lot to talk about after. Uh, but everyone stay safe and enjoy yourself. And before we get out of here, a special thank you to the band Stick Figure for allowing us to use today's intro and outro music. Son of-